Hi, everyone, and welcome to our Insider Risk podcast series. I'm Catherine Marinas Yacoub, a principal at Control Risk, and I will be your host today. This is the podcast that focuses on insider risk and what it means to businesses. Today's podcast is part of a series that we've launched for National Insider Threat Awareness Month. In today's episode, we will explore some of the difficult and challenging issues that our clients frequently have to navigate regarding insider risks. I'm delighted to be joined by Pete Marta, a partner at the global law firm Hogan Levels, where his practice focuses on assisting clients with preparing for and responding to cybersecurity incidents. And I'm sure he's had his fill of many of those incidents being insider risks. Earlier in his career, Pete worked for the U.S. Intelligence Agency. Welcome, Pete. It's great to have you on the podcast. Thanks, Catherine. Thrilled to be here. Let's start off by talking about an insider risk issue that isn't frequently top of mind to companies, but can result in grave consequences, the counterintelligence risk. Usually when considering insider risk, most companies are focused on the unintentional or accidental incidents, such as clicking on a phishing email or on the malicious side, those that may be committing theft, fraud, sabotage, or workplace violence. However, with CI risk, foreign states or competitors seek access to an organization's critical assets, whether it's IP or a company's strategy. They can do this by infiltrating a company, by becoming employees, or working with some of their third parties. They can also do this by targeting and recruiting employees. Companies may not be aware that this is even happening to them, nor do they even know what to look for. Pete, in your experience working with clients, what makes insider risk, and particularly the CI risk, so unique and challenging? Good question. In my experience, establishing and operating a true insider threat program can be a, and is often a very challenging effort. And the debate and the conversations that are had surrounding them often go to the very core of an organization's identity, what type Mm -hmm. of company it wants to be, type of culture it has, its values, that type of thing. And these initiatives also often involve a number of stakeholders across an organization. So of course, you've got the security folks, the chief security officer in that person's organization, but you have legal you have privacy folks, you have human resources, or in some cases, employee resources. The, it's called different things in different organizations, but really the group that is charged with culture and conduct, that type of thing. So a lot of different stakeholders across an organization. And perhaps not surprisingly, they can have widely divergent <laughs> perspectives mm-hmm. right, on whether an insider threat program is appropriate, what its scope should be, that type of thing. So in general, insider threat programs are challenging. And when you talk about CI risk, that takes it to a different level entirely, right? The notion that a private company could be possibly targeted by a nation state's intelligence service and all of the associated resources and capabilities possibly brought to bear it really you know, can be quite daunting. So I'd also say that an added challenge with insider threat is how to talk about it, mm-hmm. right? You know, when we worked in government, all of our coworkers were U.S. citizens. They had to be. And you almost took it for granted that the organization could speak with 
one voice about its mission and its adversaries, but the employees of a global private organization are not just Americans. They're Europeans. They're, they're Africans. They are from Central and South America. They're from Asia mm-hmm. and elsewhere. And so therefore have their associated sensitivities and perspective. And so how an organization talks about its approach to insider threat really needs to be done with some thought. Those are all great points, Pete. And I think even in today's workforce and having the focus on greater diversity, right, and having people from different nationalities and backgrounds, so important. And it often causes friction when talking about insider risk. And employers look for that loyalty from their employees and, you know, they trust their employees. And so frequently when talking about insider risk with clients, it's almost a dirty word, right? They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to appear as being big brother either when trying to establish an insider threat program. Many of them say, well, we trust their employees. We don't have any issues. And as you know, not all insider threat incidents are malicious in nature. Many of them are unintentional or accidental. And it's so important to work with the workforce to address these matters, particularly on the prevention side. So let's talk a little bit about what companies can do to protect themselves and their employees from the CI threat. What have you seen with clients that has worked? Yeah, maybe we start with what companies cannot do. Yeah. Right. So in government, one of the main controls to guard against CI and other types of insider threat was the polygraph. Right. Mm-hmm. And opinions vary, but I would say overall, I think most agree it's a generally effective tool. But last time I checked, that doesn't work in the private sector. Right. right? You know, in some industries like the defense industrial base may be an exception. Those employees there. Because by definition, what they work on is classified. They're treated much like government employees are. But for the most part in the private sector, it is very rare that you're going to find um, a private sector employer that is going to even consider conducting polygraphs on its workforce and probably even fewer employees that would be willing to work for such a company. So what can you do? I think a few things. One, I would start with awareness. Mm -hmm. Awareness at the senior executive level. I'm still often surprised to see the lack of awareness, even at the most mature organizations Mm -hmm. at the C-suite level, that this is a genuine risk. So I think some awareness among the C-suite executives around just the threat is a start. Second, I would say education. So educating the workforce just in terms of the threat in general, what to look for, how to report it, that type of thing. And then around detecting and reporting incidents mm-hmm. and, and having a protocol for that, I think, is important. And it goes back to, I mentioned a minute ago, the idea that how you communicate about what this is going to be and disseminate that to the workforce in a global organization needs to be done with some thought. All great points there, Pete. Thank you. And completely agree about the point you made in educating the workforce and making them aware most people don't know what that looks like or what an approach looks like. And the more that you can educate the workforce, the greater your prevention. And knowing 
how to report it and who to report it to if there is something strange going on. So educating the workforce on are they receiving messages on LinkedIn from, you know, unknown people asking them for a white paper or whether they are attending a conference and are being approached there as well to give a white paper or talk about their company as a subject matter expert, right, in the field and to get information that way. So these are all things to look out for that employees should be aware of. And, you know, what they're sharing on LinkedIn about themselves, about their background, about their roles and responsibilities at the organization. You mentioned earlier, I spent a lot of my time advising companies on cybersecurity preparedness and a type of attack is called business email compromise. Mm-hmm. And that often starts with social engineering. Somebody will you know, put on LinkedIn that they're a controller or they're in the chief financial officer's organization and bad guys who know what to look for understand that this might be a person who could move money. And so they'll you know, design an attack to really just to try to trick them into initiating a wire transfer, for example. So yep. educating your workforce on what they share about themselves and their roles and responsibilities is also important. So important, especially in today's society of oversharing on social media, yes. right? And not really realizing what those consequences can lead to. and how bad actors may look at that and target those individuals. So let's switch gears to when companies need to address an insider threat incident. Another challenging area and one that clients frequently grapple with is whether to inform law enforcement. And if so, what is the timing of that, right? When should they do that? Concerns range from the C-suite and board members not wanting to disclose an incident publicly and the ramifications that that can have, particularly because there's embarrassment around that because it's happening from someone on the inside of the organization. And so they don't want to incur any kind of reputational damage or any loss of confidence in their customers, right? Or customer trust. So companies often decide to handle it internally and many times don't even go about it through legal action. So for those who may be experiencing a current insider threat incident or going through an investigation, or for those who'd like to know if they have to go through this in the future, can you walk us through the circumstances that law enforcement should be brought in during an investigation and what companies can expect? And of course, depending on the type of insider threat incident, it will depend greatly on, you know, whether you're bringing in local law enforcement or federal. Right, right. No, exactly. I most often am advising companies about engaging law enforcement in the context of uh, experiencing a significant cyber attack. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit different, but similar concerns. And a lot of the questions I'll get are, is law enforcement going to take over the investigation? Are they going to turn the tables and start investigating us? Will it leak to the press? Or will it otherwise become known to the public? Maybe I'll tackle that last one first. The idea that involving law enforcement could eventually lead to the insider becoming known to the public and you know the resulting reputational damage that that could involve. I would say it's possible that could happen. I'd say in general, it doesn't happen often. And, and when it does, it doesn't happen quickly. I mean, you're often 
talking months or years, not you know, weeks. So, you know, there is time for an organization to prepare for that to happen. But it's important to underscore that in many cases, like in a cyber attack, in an insider threat situation, the company is really a victim. Mm -hmm. It's the victim of crime in some cases or even espionage. And so being able to truthfully say that you're working with law enforcement underscores the notion that you're a victim and can sometimes help with the reputational issues that the company sometimes, you know, is concerned that could be implicated. But I, I would say before making the decision to notify law enforcement, it's important to understand that there could be times when the company's interests and those of the government, the government's interests may not align, right? It's important to be aware of that and be thoughtful about how you would respond to it. So one obvious example is upon detecting an insider, a possible insider, and then confirming that a particular individual undertook actions detrimental to the company, understandable reaction is to get rid of the employee as quickly as possible. That's what a lot of companies would decide to do. It may, though, be in the government's interest to not have the company do that and to have you know the person basically operate in place and see what's the extent of the impact to the organization, who are they communicating with, that type of thing. And so that's just one example of the idea that in some cases, the interests of the company may not align with the government. Right. Have you seen a lot of friction there when that happens? And can you give examples of the back and forth that goes between the government and the company and who wins? Yeah. <laughs> government always wins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In my experience, these are typically reasonable situations. You can debate with the government on the right course of action and typically find a middle ground. It's rare in my experience where the government's going to dictate to a private company that it, for example, it has to keep a particular employee with the company, particularly in situations where there could be a safety concern, for example. I found in my experience that the government is often very reasonable when you can come to an accommodation. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, one step to consider, and I think a step that any organization can take left of bang, so to speak, is establish a relationship with law enforcement ahead of time. And yes, so important. <laughs> right. And and I, you know, I often do that again in the context of cybersecurity preparedness, but the FBI, for example, in many cases, is absolutely willing to come out and meet with private companies, educate them on yes. whether it's cybersecurity preparedness or insider threat, best practices and trends and, and whatnot. So establishing a relationship with law enforcement ahead of time is a very good idea. It is. And there, there are quite a few FBI field offices that throughout the United States that do that outreach to different companies to help them out with their cybersecurity risk and insider threat risk, which is phenomenal. And you need that because it does take a village, doesn't it? <laughs> it really does. Part of their remit, it really is outreach to the public. In a number of cases, I've taken clients to, for example, 26Fed, which is the, mm -hmm. the New York field office here in Manhattan. And they're happy to host them there or they'll go to companies and give a pretty sophisticated, tailored briefing around whether it's cybersecurity, whether it's insider threat, or other topics. And I would imagine that after that's done, 
the executives and other you know leadership that they do brief, it makes the insider risk, insider threat a lot more real. I think a lot of times companies don't really realize how grave that risk is and that they are susceptible. And it doesn't matter what industry you're in and what type of work that you do, right? right? And so hopefully when that does happen, they're able to really understand what that threat is and and then take courses of action to mitigate those. Exactly. So another key challenge that clients face regarding insider risk are how to navigate privacy issues. And this is especially the case regarding monitoring and particularly when investigating a potential actual insider threat incident. And I know in speaking with clients, initial meetings that I have with clients about insider risk and their interest in establishing an insider risk mitigation program, they frequently, you know, say, how do we even deal with this? You know, what about privacy issues, right? That we have to be mindful of that. And we don't even know how to navigate that. You know, it just gives them so much heartburn right off the bat and rightfully so, because you have to consider privacy and civil liberties when dealing with any kind of insider issues or incidents. So what would you say are the greatest pitfalls regarding privacy that companies need to be aware of? Yeah, it's an important question, right? And as we said earlier, it's important to remember there are different perspectives around the issue of privacy and particularly the expectation of privacy in the workplace. So in the U.S., there is essentially no expectation of privacy in the Mm -hmm. workplace. An employer really can pretty much do whatever it wants in terms of monitoring the workplace. By contrast, in Europe, for example, Mm -hmm. privacy is viewed as a fundamental human right. And so that difference in perspective is really important to understand. And think about it. You also, as an employer, don't want to treat employees differently just based on where they happen to be working and where they're located. And so there are a number of, I think, interests to balance. Around privacy, though, and you mentioned monitoring, the laws differ across jurisdictions around whether or not you can monitor your employees, Mm -hmm. for what purpose you're monitoring them, by what means you're monitoring them. So are you monitoring their email, their internet activity, et cetera? They differ around whether, you know, in some jurisdictions, you at least have to provide notice of monitoring. (sighs) In other jurisdictions, you have to obtain consent. And the laws differ across jurisdictions on all of those issues and and even whether or not consent in the workplace is deemed doable. So understanding for an organization across all jurisdictions in which it operates, where it has members of the workforce, understanding what those laws and regulations say and what is permitted and not is a necessary step to take before you're going to engage in any type of designing a broader insider threat program. And that, you know, it's legal analysis, but that's something that a company can accomplish, again, left of bang. Much easier to do when you're not in the middle of a crisis, a big investigation or some other type of crisis. It's a good idea to do that ahead of time. Yes, absolutely. And what would you say some of the best practices are that companies can implement 
Yeah, I really go back to what I just said, which mm-hmm. was conduct that analysis today when you're not in the midst of a crisis. Understand not only what the laws and regulations say, but also what data protection authorities may have to say, or works councils in some jurisdictions. There are laws not just on whether you can monitor employees, but who's doing the monitoring you know, from other jurisdictions or whether it has to take place inside that same jurisdiction. So really understanding the organization's capabilities, where the workforce sits, and then the laws and regulations in place. Yeah, that's great. Thank you, Pete. Well, this has been a fascinating discussion. Thank you so much for being with us today, Pete. It was wonderful to have you. Thanks for having me. For more information on insider risk, please go to controlrisks.com slash insider risk.